welcome to Health Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Okay, so I don't know if you've noticed with this podcast so far, but I generally have little changes of time and tone and feeling about occupational health in the restaurant industry as I record these episodes, because I kind of tend to do them in chunks. Spoiler alert, I'm not doing these every single week. I backlog them, so I have a lot of stuff that I can do ahead of time, and then Uh, I release them over time. So you probably noticed that the first four episodes that I recorded, I did those all in one day. So you probably noticed my tone sounded a little different than my tone sounds um, with more recent ones, uh, such as uh, the episode with Manny a couple weeks ago, possibly the one with Katrina about environmental um, uh, conserving the environment and using reusable containers. But it's interesting to me because I've noticed a tone change, a focus change when it comes to discussions about retention in restaurants, when it comes to health in restaurants, and I don't really know what to do about it. Well, I know what to do to help somebody with their health. I know what to do to prevent injuries, safe lifting, all that fun stuff, but I'm hitting this wall these days wondering how an industry on the whole is facing a massive retention problem with a worker shortage and there was no focus on looking at solutions before this was a problem years and years ago. And I noticed on the whole that um, there's not a lot of later in late career workers when it comes to being chefs and servers and bartenders and all these different types of positions. You just don't see that kind of legacy within the industry. But if the industry didn't build that in and your entire workforce is kind of hinging on a younger workforce, what happens when that younger workforce no longer wants to stay put up with the hard working conditions you've created. Um, And now we see this issue finally hitting the wall or that tidal wave has finally hit us. And it just leaves me wondering what we do from here. I was just posting yesterday after the holiday season about an article on the CBC about the retention issue in the food service industry and that there are 67,000 open vacancies. And there's restaurants that are looking to open that can't open because they can't find people to do the job. And The issue is so much bigger than just looking at the physical side of the job. It's so much bigger than just looking at pay. It's it. There's so many factors that play into it. And I, I don't even know how you go about fixing it all at once, but I do think 
that we are sitting at a pinnacle time in the food service industry. And not only for the food service industry, I think for a lot of industries, we're sitting at this pinnacle time where where do we find the people that are going to be our big hitters, our really great rising stars that will be able to stick with businesses and help them grow and change the industry? And I feel like this is a really important moment in the history of food service businesses because if food service businesses find a way to tackle this problem, this will become a blueprint for all different types of industries to help solve these kind of problems, okay? So do I have an answer to this problem? Mm, I have a few fixes for specific parts of the problem. Do I know how to fix it completely? Definitely not. But I think right now is a pinnacle point where if we figure out how to solve this, there's going to be a lot of changes for not only the food service industry, but all industries in general. And I hope today's guest will give us a few details on how we go about solving that. Today's guest goes by the name of Kirsty McKinley, and from my opening monologue, you've probably noticed that I want to really focus on what sort of changes are happening in the industry and why are people not sticking around in their jobs long term these days? And who better to talk to with this about than somebody who's been in the industry for 25 years? She used to manage me at one of my old restaurant jobs. She currently works at a brewery. And we talk about changes that have happened in the industry, why some health and performance interventions don't work when it comes to a business setting. And then finally, we talk about those transferable skills that you take for granted when you're in the restaurant industry, but they are so valuable to you in so many other careers. Um, if you decide to leave the industry later on. So lots of great information today. And before we get into it, I do just want to give a little disclaimer that Kirsty has an adorable young dog named Patsy Klein, who was chewing on a bone while we recorded so that she wouldn't be too rambunctious. So if you hear that in the background, just note that you're hearing an adorable dog named Patsy Klein. And uh, yeah, so it is my pleasure to go listen in on this conversation. And I hope you really enjoy it too today. So without further ado, let's go listen in. Uh, yeah, so I'm sitting here with uh, Kirstie McKinley, and we've worked together a few years ago at a pub where you managed me. I did. <laughs> but I thought I would give you the floor to uh, describe yourself, what you do, and to go from there. What I do now or what I've currently done in the past? Uh, however you want to do it. However you want to, you can do now, you can talk about your past and how you got here, whatever works. Okay. Um, I have been in the food service industry for... Uh, 
almost 27 years. Uh, it'll be 27 years in April nice. um, of next year. I started when I was uh, 15 or 16. So like you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Um, <laughs> worked in mostly franchise restaurants. I was a cook, uh, host, bartender, server, uh, supervisor, manager. And then uh, eventually through the franchisees I had worked for for a very long time, I was given an opportunity to become an operating partner, which was basically shares in the pub that we worked at together. Yes. Um, but after that length of time, I left um, restaurants last February was my official um, kind of leaving franchise restaurants, but I'm currently uh, run a tap room in a brewery. So same kind of deal, but no food, beer instead. So yes. same sort of... Uh, same sort of, not quite the same hours, but similar job in a lot of ways. Yeah. Nice. Um, so how did you, because you came in, you said 15 or 16 was when you... Yeah. Yeah. So about the same, I started around the same age. Yeah. I think I was, I think I just had, just had turned 16. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So did you get to sort of choose the industry or did it just sort of end up being a situation of need? It was both in that my mom had been, so... Boring story, long story. No, uh, my parents. Uh, my parents are immigrants, and so when my mom, they're from Scotland, and so when they moved here in the '70s, and my mom didn't have a high school education, and uh, the story with her is she had applied for like a an office type job and had originally gotten it, but when she went to start, they said actually we hired someone, we hired a Canadian instead. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they we have a hard time understanding your Scottish accent. She's Glaswegian, so that's actually fair. Um, but, uh, and then she needed a job, so she found a job uh, in uh, the Wolco counter, like the coffee. Uh, you're probably too young to remember Wolco. Yeah. It's like a, it was like a Woolworths. Okay. And had a coffee counter, so she had that kind of job. And then she just ended up in serving, so, uh, because it was good money and with small kids, the hours were good for what she needed. So my sister and brother and I basically grew up sitting at bars yeah, and being in kitchens and being in restaurants. So, um, and the British culture has a big culture of being in pubs and being restaurants and that kind of stuff. So then I got a job at 16 because I wanted to buy, you know, 16 year old girl things. Um, and, uh, there was a big hiring now job fair at the holiday Inn in Guelph. And I walked up after school and just in my school outfit and just walked in with no resume, no nothing. And for some reason, they hired me. So out of like <laughs> 4,000 people that applied, the, whatever reason, the mistake or not, they, um, my franchise franchisor that I ended up working with for over 25 years, she hired me, a 16-year-old me, for whatever yeah. reason. So, And then that was that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been to so many job hiring fairs at that holiday inn. There's it's been the, a bunch of them, the yeah. go-to place yeah. to do any sort of job fair is the Holiday Inn. But it was kind of full circle for me 20-something years later when we did the Finns. Yes. Um, job hire, like job fair. It was the same room, the same hotel that I had been hired by that company 20-something years before. Yeah, so. yeah. And I went through that hiring process. It you was, did. It was a good time. You sold me an old cell phone. I sold you an old, yeah. old cell phone <laughs> because I knew I had to be funny because I had a flip phone. And when we had to sell something, the purple before me had an iPhone. Yeah. So I was like, great, now I have to be funny. Because it's the only way that I'm going to... It's the only way this is going to work. Yeah, it's the only way it's going to work. So I'm going to sell this and we're going to make this happen. Um, 
Cool. Awesome. So now uh, I know classically in restaurants, long hours, um, you know, on your feet all day doing whatever it may be, looking mm-hmm. 10, 12, 14 hour days. Um, did you, now that you're in a brewery, is the hours similar to that or? Um, because our staff is so small at this brewery, um, there's two of, two front of house people that are full time. Yep. So our, our weeks tend to be like a normal work week, like 40 to 42 hours but um some of those shifts are quite long based on uh just based on scheduling and based on how brewery runs so some days you get lucky and you have six hour shifts and some days you have longer days like yesterday i had a 10 hour day yeah yeah um because it was a saturday and we had a, a function in the brewery so yeah there's still like it's still all over the place in yes. terms of hours yeah. So I think that's just standard with any part of the food industry. Yeah. Any business where any part of the business where you're standing serving beer to people, yeah. be it like a restaurant or a brewery or a pub or a bar, there's going to have that element of like longer hours because you also like that's also how you make your money too, right? The front of house perspective anyway, yeah. which is what I've been front of house is but what I've been kind of been doing for the last 23 of my 27 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the biggest change between, well, not even, because in pubs and such, you still deal with kegs, and you're still lifting, like, heavy things. Because I think, yeah. whenever I think breweries, I think that the lifting must be heavier, but I don't think you avoid it in the... Uh... No, you don't. I mean, there's, <laughs> the joke is around here, because I'm, because of my, I'm not advanced age, but relatively to my coworkers, I'm significantly older, I always, like, ask the youngins to move the kegs for me at this point. I'm like, I'm doing this a really long time, and I'm in my 40s. I'm going to, can, you're a 25-year-old, go lift that keg for me. Or I'll help you lift that keg, but. Understandably. Yes. Right? Um, It makes so much sense uh, to make sure that you mitigate those tasks Mm -hmm. as best you can, and I think that's something that I've seen working in occupational health as a kinesiologist, that like a lot of people don't think about how heavy the lifts they may be doing, especially when they're younger. Well, there's a certain amount of, like, I think in restaurants in general, there's a certain amount of, like, bravado that's like, no, no, I got this. I can do this. I don't need you, Um, which we're all guilty of doing. Like, I don't need, like, we worked with someone at the pub, uh, very experienced bartender. She's five foot tall and very strong, but she shouldn't be lifting full kegs. But she's, you know, up until recently, she was like, no, no, I have this. Like, I can do it. I I can do it. And we actually had... um, so we have a, an old lady breakfast with a bunch of like old, older, <laughs> more experienced restaurant people. We've been doing every Thursday um, breakfast recently. And she finally said, you know, I'm not lifting those kegs anymore because we were talking about your podcast, actually. Oh. And we're talking about how like occupational health and safety and, you know, lifting and what we've been doing for so long. And she said, oh, yeah, I've just I've stopped lifting. Like, like someone else does it for me now. I'm not doing it anymore. Like. Right. It, it makes so much sense. And uh, also, to be honest about that, uh, I literally was chatting with a guy a few episodes ago, um, and he was talking about how, because he's the biggest guy, he always got told to lift all the heavy stuff. It's so true. It's uh, absolutely true that would happen to him. Yeah. So he would always, he was said that, like, he wishes that there would be, like, a plan in place so that, like, there's a dolly or something to be able to move that yeah. stuff around easier so that... He doesn't have to shoulder all of that heavy lifting, yeah. right? Because if you're just putting it on one person. It's a, it's a lot. But a few years ago, I've started being like, no, like you, you get someone in the back to help you. Like even the bigger dudes, I'm like, no, you're, we're going to do this together because, yeah. And yeah. even like, so the, I mean, on the same thing about kegs. So at the brewery, um, we have, there's 20, 30 and 58 liter kegs. Yep. 58 liter kegs are the big ones that people are most familiar with. But in our Alma Street tap room, um, our brewer, Mike, 
kind of breaks down kegs so they're in 20s or 30s for the staff. Yeah. So that we're very rarely lifting 58s in the tap room for that reason. Because we have... Makes so much sense. Makes sense. Um, it, you know, because we have... Um, Small, we have a smaller, not as physically strong front room staff yeah. that um, shouldn't be lifting 58s, or none of us really should be lifting 58s by ourselves. Um, but now, yeah, our fridge is full of 20s and 30s because they are manageable by one person with good lifting technique. Right? Uh, well, that's uh, that's so exciting to me. Like, that excites me so much when I hear that because um, one of the biggest things is that a lot of restaurants or a lot of food service businesses kind of have, like, the way they've always done things, and yeah. they don't change to make it a little bit easier, possibly. Um, my favorite example is bags of flour and bags of sugar, um, because those big ones, the the 20 kilo ones, are 44 pounds, mm -hmm. and you have a lot of bakers or chefs who are constantly having to lift these heavy bags, when it's like, well, you could also order smaller bags at mm -hmm. the same quantity and be able to mitigate that risk completely. But from a restaurant management perspective, that uh, you, you look at your costs, right? So, yeah. so you're looking at a bag of flour that's this much versus five. So it's more cost effective in one respect to buy the giant bag. But I mean, arguably, you could say, well, dude throws out his back lifting forty four pound one. You're actually like actually cost you money. So yeah, I don't know. It's that cost benefit analysis. I think there's some suppliers that will do smaller bags at the same cost. Maybe well, I've that would be great. In, I've heard <laughs> in Toronto. I've heard yeah. some larger bakeries because they've had such an occupational health concern mm -hmm. that they maybe they get enough volume in that it's worth the cost to them. Yeah. If you're a smaller operation, it may be stuck. But even if you're working with that big bag of flour, mm -hmm. to just know that you can maybe transfer the flour into a smaller container and then move it yeah. for your needs and come back to that container when you need it. And then you also build some movement into your work day. Yay. Yay. Well, we sell, when we sell the kegs to 50, like the, the big kegs to the licensees, there is a cost... Um, it, it, you buy a bigger keg, you get a better deal than buying a bunch of smaller kegs, right? Because we yeah. want to move product, so because that's our job. Yes. But um, but yes, wouldn't it be lovely? But even like our our owner who delivers it, he's like, oh, 58s. Oh, I'm like, well, you're selling all that beer. We gotta yeah. gotta get it to them somehow. Yeah, it's great, but there's also that concern of it, and then you know. If you can't remove the stressor, we look into the other side of it. So below, how do we train? How do we prepare people for their work day? Mm -hmm. um, because you can't always remove the stressor, right? It's obviously the best way is yes. to say, like, yeah, let's move, remove it. Let's get rid of it. It'll be fine. We won't have a problem. But when you – that's not always possible in food service businesses. No. It's so contextual. So then we look and we're like, okay, maybe we look into training. So we talk about safe lifting. We talk about – Break cycles, whatever it may be, to mm -hmm. be to better manage that in reference to the business, um, which is where I get to come in and help it's people out with that. Where you you come in, yeah, yeah as best I can, uh, doing those sorts of things. It was funny. I was uh, at the day job. I was uh, at the distribution plant for a giant coffee chain in Canada. Um, a giant coffee chain, yeah, she that, says with quotes around right? it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that everybody knows. But I got to be in there, and we got to look at what they were lifting and mm -hmm. stuff, and also bringing those edits into the workplace to make sure that people mm -hmm. know what a safe lift is. Because if you haven't trained people on that, and this facility was actually really great. They had their health and safety together. They were just actually just updating some of their reports, yeah. and they had to bring me in anyway. So there wasn't anything glaringly a problem, mm -hmm. but it was something that I... Uh, it was interesting to see, mm. to be like, how much are they lifting when they're picking up, you know, this box of coffee yeah. and moving it around? And also, to see that much coffee in one building <laughs> that gets sent out everywhere is a little mind-boggling. 
to actually see. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, coffee. So, so the lifeblood of restaurants, coffee. It's true. It's true. Yeah. That are like Monster Energy drinks. Oh, gross. Which are, I, I see younger chefs drinking those, and I'm like, you'll be off those eventually. Yeah, that's that. That is very generational, actually. Like my generation is coffee, and yeah. then um, the new. It's like Red Bulls and Monster. Yeah. Stuff that, you know. Yeah. They're too sweet for me to drink. They're not really my scene, but I know lots of people who... And they're expensive. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coffee. Just go black coffee. Just drink all the free coffee at your workplace. It's true. It's true. Um, I always knew uh, when I was helping open the pub, because I was the only person who loved doing the Sunday Open consistently. I remember that. You were the only, also one of the only people that weren't hungover on Sunday morning, so I could I schedule you go. reliably, <laughs> and I knew that you would show up. Yeah, and I always made sure I made coffee first thing, and then about 15 minutes afterwards, I'd bring all the chefs and cooks coffee. That's the, the way day. to their heart. I mean, beer is actually the way to their heart, but the coffee's a good start in the morning. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'd be like, does anyone want coffee? And I'd have it all, I'd make them all to their liking mm-hmm. with the sugar and cream and bring it over to them. And they were always really happy with that. They so. just like to be remembered that they're there. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, the poor back of house. They, I know. They don't, they don't always get the love they deserve. I know, right? Uh, it's so, yeah, I always feel bad. I always try to, when I was in the industry, I always tried to make sure that they felt heard and seen and... All that good stuff as best I could. Um, but uh, shifting back to health and performance as usual, um, did you find for yourself personally that you had any like successes with managing things? Did you make any rituals for yourself? Um, successes? I think, well, what I advocate for now is, is, is the senior person. Um, I spent a long time in the first, well, two-thirds of my restaurant life not looking after myself in any way, shape, or form at all. I was a smoker. I drank too much, all that stuff. Um, a few years ago, I started actually having regular massages from a RMT. Yep. And I was like, why have I not, like, even I had even when I had benefits, I just never went. And I was like, no, no, I don't know. I don't have time for this. It's so whatever. I don't... But even something as simple as like once a month is just like life changing because she pinpointed like stuff that I was feeling, why I was feeling so like uncomfortable or tight. And then when, you know, like my calves tend to seize up after really long shifts. And she's like, well, here are some stretches you can do during your workday to help you, you know, feel better the next morning after your long shift. So just that simple, like once a month going to see an RMT was like yeah worthwhile so restaurant people of the world go find an rmt that you like and trust yeah i think it's sort of thinking when you go to a health professional like that is like maintaining a car like you get your oil change yeah and all that stuff done regularly if you want your car to stay around for a long time but people don't think of that with their own body in the same way yeah until they get it and then they're like oh my god i can't go back it's the best thing ever well i think like i had mentioned before like the bravado of like restaurant and food food service and bars and that kind of thing. It's it's very much everything's like, no, I'm fine, I'm good, I don't need it. No, no, I don't I'm good, I can keep going. Like, no, I can grind it out, I'm good. And so and you spend so much of your time looking after other people's um, needs and wants and experiences that you don't have a lot left in your tank sometimes for yourself. Yeah. So I think uh, getting to a space where you are trying to look after yourself is good. Yeah. It's just the hours make it tough sometimes, yep. and uh, the the wages make it tough. Restaurant yeah. people, you know, for every person who has a really good night serving front of house, there's 20 people in that same restaurant that haven't, or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's uh, it can be really good money and can be really terrible money, so you don't always have the resources 
or even the, the wherewithal to know how to start to look after yourself. So yeah, it is. Uh, it is tough, um, and that's very yeah. That money side of it is yeah. a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, even for the front of house service side. I always find it funny because, like, people... I always hear on, like, Reddit or, like, whatever online community because tipping comes up and we yeah. talk about it and stuff. And it's so funny because I have a lot of people who comment about how, like, much money servers can make. But it's such a, like... They always take the craziest number that they can think yeah. of. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, like, your one night a year baby. Yeah. Uh, you know, where they're, like, people are like, in Toronto, servers are making, like, six or $700 a night. And I was like, that might be on, like, New Year's. Yeah, where is this place and yeah. why don't we all know about it? Yeah, like, and it, you know, and if people were making that much money as serving, I don't think you'd see the retention problems you see in the industry. And you wouldn't have, you'd have servers all owning homes and driving cars and like, there's, yeah, you can have those wonderful out, you know, outliers of the evening, but basically you're just making an okay wage like everybody else. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. So I, I mean, they are making more money than the back of house, yes. the kitchen staff for sure. That's, I mean, you take 40 hours kitchen work and 40 hours of serving work. And yes, the server is coming out on top financially. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. That's, uh, that's definitely a thing. And I've seen a lot more food service businesses start to up their wages because just to be able to keep people, especially in Toronto, I've been... It's happening here, too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been kind of tracking online. There's a few Facebook groups, and Mm -hmm. they post jobs all the time, and I've noticed how, like, starting wages are going up. They are going up. People are posting more and more for those wages because it's just hard to keep people, so... Well, why, you know, if you were making $14 an hour, but you can walk two minutes down the street and they're paying you 16 for the same job, why wouldn't you? Exactly. There's not a lot... uh, Unless, you know, there's other factors that play in your your workplace like you you have loyalty because they treat you well or they do this yeah. but you know i wouldn't if i could get paid two dollars more an hour down the street why wouldn't you you why know wouldn't you? yeah you would do it because you're gonna you know uh, be able to make more money and i think that's uh in toronto where there's so many restaurants yeah and like you know there's one every four feet um you really have to play to that um mm-hmm. to try and keep your people because otherwise it'll just be a revolving door of people, and it'll be hard to keep uh, people around. But I do have to ask, what's your favorite part of your workday? Of my current workday? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the brewery now, um, the tap room allows dogs, so I get to pet dogs a lot, so that's a good part uh, of my day. Um, and I like, actually, because the, the pace of the brewery is different than restaurants, yeah. so um, I get to spend more time chatting with people and the um the one location we have is right smack in the middle of a neighborhood so we have lots of regulars so i get to spend all this um time with uh the regulars and people that are in the neighborhood that i've grown to know in the last year so sometimes i feel like i just get paid to hang out and chat there's more to it my job than that but that's i mean that's the part of the workday that i that i enjoy is you know we have um so around the corner from the the one location, there's a daycare, yes. and they take the kids out for like a little afternoon walk every day. It's around two thirty or whatever, and so they're all on those little kid strings, like they're all like hooked into each other, and like the one the adult at the front and the back. So we have this big garage window, and the bar faces the garage door, and so every day around two thirty, you see these like little kids like walk by, and they turn and they they wave. 
because um, I know someone's in there usually. So I'm like, well, it's very like Sesame Street people in our neighborhood. And like, I'm like, oh, look, it's 2.30. The kids are walking by. So that's a nice part of my day, too. Yeah, I've seen a lot of breweries kind of <laughs> occupy that space for communities now. Yeah. Like, they're kind of uh, a lot of uh, microbreweries, whatever, uh, that size have kind of moved into neighborhoods a lot, mm-hmm. into warehousing or, like, industrial-ish kind of space that maybe wasn't able to be occupied by any other business yeah. in today's economy and had been able to create a more community in the neighborhood. Yeah, I've had some people say that, um, like, they sort of the microbreweries at this point feel more like old-style British pubs. You have your kids, you have your dogs, you come in Saturday afternoon, you have your packet of crisps and your pint of beer, you say hi to your neighborhood, and then you go home, um, which I think is a much healthier sort of atmosphere for uh, enjoying alcohol than going to a you know a random bar and pounding six beer you know yeah i say that without judgment but in terms of where i am at in my life i'm like i think this is a much healthier space yeah and i've noticed that a lot of breweries are doing a lot of really good like community events within them too yeah so, like they kind of let people uh like when i was doing some talks around guelph i was able to like possibly use a brewery and they're like yeah come do your health talk here and yeah can, like have a beer and eat some cheese or whatever and listen to you talk and stuff. And they do lots of really cool events like that. Yeah, I think a lot of um, breweries are trying to become community hubs. Yeah. So, um, and we have the space and it's not, you know, yeah, it's, it's not occupied at certain points in the day. So come on in and chat and yeah. talk about your feelings. Come and hang out or record a podcast. Record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on the flip side of it, is there a certain part of your day that's like really tough? Obviously under the health and performance aspect of it, but... Well, I just find like the part of the... the well, I said, I don't know if it was actually on the podcast or not. Um, I'm in a trans transitioning phase right now and I'm going to a Monday to Friday, nine to five kind of gig into an office because after doing this for so long, everything hurts. Um, yeah. So the, the physical part I'm finding really hard, standing on uh, concrete floors for you know six to 12 hours depending on what shift it is um i'm just finding the physical aspect of the job is increasingly more challenging than it was when i was 25 and you could you know get a few hours of sleep bounce back and do whatever you needed to do i just don't have that same like i'm kind of wanting structure and you know space to space to to sit space to stand but like to move around differently than i have been for the last million years understandably yes so that's the challenge is health and like it's health and safety is uh you know my, my old lady bones hurt yeah and anybody who's been doing it as long as i have could probably tell you the same thing unless they're either very lucky or have planned very well or have lived a slightly different life than, yeah but, you know sometimes we the old ladies and i sit around and categorize our aches and pains from doing this for so long so yeah i wonder what the career direction is for people who like have been in the industry for 20 25 years and they may super love it but their body doesn't allow them to do it anymore it's hard because there isn't a retirement plan for most food service people like and so it's my cohort the people that i came up with where a lot of us are in that same sort of space of like that's why people get into managing restaurants sometimes because it's you know, it's something on your resume that shows supervisory management experience, and then hopefully you can parlay it into something else. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like the Hotel California. This business that you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think um, 
I'm an, uh, you know, most of my friends have degrees, like undergrads. So, you know, there are things you can parlay that into depending on where you, your interest lies. But yeah. some become restaurant owners. Some yeah. go to corporate, like, franchise, uh, hey, head <laughs> office, corporation, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, like Adam did that. Yes. Um, a friend of mine, she ran a food service at a university. Uh, yep. So different kind of job, but still on her feet a lot of the time. Uh, some of us just burn out and go to work in, in a doctor's office, which is what I'm about to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's so funny because I think there are, like, that's this is sort of another, well, this is a topic within that topic. Yeah. Um, a little bit of an aside, but I think there's a lot of transferable skills that people don't appreciate. Oh, 100%. One, we talk but, about this a lot, actually. Yeah, they can get you, like, really great positions in other fields, but people don't see it that they way. They don't see it that way. Um, like, my most obvious one is sales. Mm-hmm. Like, if you work as a server for any period of time, you're, like, really well-primed to get a job in sales. Yeah. Doing whatever. There's, um... So, if you have, if you're a decent manager of people at all in a restaurant, if you are able to motivate your staff in any way, shape, or form, or your staff still want to talk to you after they stop working for you, um, I think that's a really important skill that gets isn't people are like, oh, you run food and you bus tables for the servers as a manager, but you're also um, like you're you're managing people, yep. you're talking to customers, you're problem solving, you're doing marketing, you're like social media. Yeah. Um, it's all very one stop shop. And I think of Sean, uh, who was at uh, Finns and Eastsides. He can fix anything. He can make an, anything work. He can run a spreadsheet like nobody's business. The guy's the smartest guy I know. But if you look at his resume on paper, any company would be like, they ran a restaurant for twenty years. Yeah. Which uh, isn't fair, <laughs> but no. I mean, it's the way of the world, right? Yeah. But there's so many, like, at one point at Finns, we had the most educated bar staff in town. We had a doctor, um, <laughs> a doctorate, and like three university degrees, and like a master's behind the bar. And you're like, why, why is no one else getting like. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that a, a few restaurants yeah. now where, like, when I was downtown working. Uh, and Magita, there were just like the yeah the education and talent pool within that space. Yeah, like people getting their PhDs, people uh, you know working in their fields and also still working in the restaurant. And it was really interesting to see the like where people had come from and where they uh, yeah. were applying their skills. Some of the smartest, most interesting people I've ever met do quote unquote the most menial jobs. Yeah. Um, and I say menial, not because I believe them to be that, but because that's, you know, often what they're described as. Like, some of the smartest, yeah. most interesting people I know, like, wash dishes. Yeah. Um, right. For whatever reason. Yeah. That's where, they're, that's where they are. That's but. what they do. Um, my personal favorite example of this is I do, I work in an occupational health clinic, mm-hmm. and I test employees before they get their job. So test them, like, physically? I put them, I put them through a fitness test. Okay. Um, and there's a whole other battery of tests that we may mm-hmm. do as well, depending on the nature. So yeah. um, mining companies to cruise ship lines to public service, whatever it mm-hmm. may be, we'll test the employees. And it's so funny because sometimes we have days where you have a lot of people you have to get through the clinic. Yeah. And people will be losing it, like running around like mad trying to get stuff done. And I, they're like, you're always so relaxed. And I'm like, because I worked in restaurants yeah. and, uh, you know, looking back at Finn's days where sometimes you had 15, 16 tables and there was no way around it and yeah. you made it work. 
Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, oh, dealing with one patient at a time. They come in. Yeah. I send them where they have to go next. And like, they're like, you're so fast at it. And I'm like, because I have 15 years experience of yeah. this high level of like organization and movement and management. In my or head. you've had, you know, until you've had Karen, the hockey mom, wanting to talk to the manager because her food took too long. Like it's, yes. if you can handle that kind of like pressure, then the fact that you're like, yeah, it's very little phases me yes. at this point in my, in my life. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a thing. We'll get through it. Yep. So are you starting to see the industry change a little bit compared to how it was like, oh, maybe yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Huge amounts of change. Like, so for, like, I started in the restaurant in 19, it was 1993. So think about how the world has changed since 1993. Like yeah. social media, um, just the entire the food network is the worst thing ever to happen to restaurants, in my opinion. Because everybody knows everything now. Yes. Um, so you can't tell anybody anything. Um, so so everybody knows something more than the person that's making your food or serving your food. So I started to see, we started to see that kind of change in the last like 15 years, um, and then the ability to leave reviews um, online has made it increasingly challenging for restaurants. Social media makes it hard. Um, the talent pool has changed. Um, yeah. The, the way people work has changed. Uh, Work-life balance is different. And people are less... And this is a good thing, but people are less willing to to be treated poorly. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and, you know, we talk... I talk about, like, my original days in the restaurant with, like, you know, it's all very rose-colored glasses. But my first boss ever was a tyrant. Like, yeah. <laughs> a tyrant of a man who would scream and yell at people and like people would quake in fear when he came in i mean so i we liked oh like kelly and some other friends of mine that worked with him were like oh he taught us how to work hard and how to be accountable and but his behavior now it was it was borderline abusive a lot of the time yeah so you know that has changed which is good and as much as um you know uh, millennials get a lot of crap. Um, I've worked with them for yeah. <laughs> for years, and you know that's like any generation. You have hardworking, easy to deal with people, and you have not so hardworking, less easy to deal with people. So I hesitate to throw millennials under the bus. Yeah, because um, I'm quite fond of you. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, this Gen X has worked works with them, and they keep her young. Um, yeah, right. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff I I've seen change. Um, there is. There isn't a cohort of professional restaurant people th- like there was. Yeah. So uh, all of my friends, are most of them, a lot of them are still in this business or connected to this business in some way. But I don't see that happening in the millennial generation. There isn't professional servers. There aren't professional line cooks like there has been. Um, good or bad, I've just noticed that that's, that's a thing. Yeah. So like you don't have 20-year employees. Yeah. So at the one, the east sides, um, there's people that have worked there. There's a cohort of people that have worked there 26, 15, 20, like a a chunk of people that have worked there a really long time. That doesn't happen anymore. And it's neither good nor bad. It just is. Yeah, it just Um, is. So I don't know what's changed about the business to, to make that a thing, but... I think any business is feeling that. Yeah. I think a lot of businesses are like, oh, we just can't get millennials or as a generation said, we just can't get people that want to stay around. But I think that's I think that's happening across like whole whole industries. industries. Yeah. It's not necessarily just the food sector. I think it's multi sided. I know in like more like 
office job settings, like if you're working in law or you're working in graphic design or whatever it may be. I know for a lot of millennials, the only way you get a pay raise is by hopping to a new employer. Yeah. So I know that's a common thing that people talk about is you, you know, you get your job. And then you work it for three or four years, and then you're going to hop to another yeah. employer because that's how you get your... That's, that's how, you're how gonna, you... Yeah, bargain for a raise or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people navigate the job environment mm-hmm. these days. Um, and I think that's just... There's a whole lot of factors that play into that. Yeah, that's the biggest change I've noticed is that... And, and the old person in me wants to call it loyalty, but the person who knows what the realities of life today is it's just people have to choose what makes the most sense for them yeah um my dinner like the people that i grew up with in their business are quote unquote loyal but to our own detriment at times yeah and you know so but what can you do what can you do figure it out right figure it out and and understand that people need to move on and make choices that are best for them like i tried to you know the first couple times I had someone quit on me when I first started managing. I took it really personally. But then you, you're like, these people are just trying to make yeah. jo- the choices that are best for them. And it doesn't necessarily reflect on the job that I've done. Like, yeah. as, a, as, you know, if people call me to ask for references or, you know, can you help me with this? Then I'm like, I've still done a good job because they still want me to help them out or they respect me as a person. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I used to get offended. But now I'm like, no, no people just got to move on. It's, people do what people do. So, okay, well, this has been really fun. I think I'm going to pause it there. Yeah. Because I think that's, you know, we've hit a good amount of time at this point. So we're going to pause it there. We'll be back in a second after a break for some crazy restaurant stories. Oh, geez, okay. Uh, and, yeah, we'll, we'll pause it at that. Hey, listeners. Um... Just one quick little thing. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to it. And on top of that, if you like it, why don't you share the episode on Instagram or post about it on Facebook and tag me in it. So if you already know me, you got my Facebook handle, tag me in it. I want to hear what you think. I want to hear what you like about it. I want to hear what you hate about it. Just let me know. I want to hear. And if you don't know where I am, that's okay, because you can find me on Instagram at Balance Life Services. That's Balance underscore Life underscore Services. And on Twitter, I'm B underscore Life underscore Services. And you can also find me on Facebook under the name Balance Life. Or you can go join that Health Kitchen Facebook group uh, called Health Kitchen, where we talk about the episodes and what we liked about them, what we don't like about them, and learning what is working for you to help you have a better work day and a better life in general. So go rate, review, subscribe, share, do all those things. Let me know what you think. And we are now going to get back into crazy restaurant stories. Now, remember that dog, Patsy Klein? She gets a little excited at the end, so we had to cut it off a little prematurely, but I still think we're going to have a good time. So let's get back to it. So we are back, and we're going to get into crazy restaurant stories, because it's my uh, favorite thing to usually talk about, and I have the best stories at any party because of them. Um, So one thing that I was thinking about recently that keeps coming up in my mind is the crazy requests guests have every time they walk into the restaurant, the pub, wherever it may be. 
and or sometimes things that they think is funny that I don't know how to answer and not sound sarcastic. Yeah. Um, so my favorite one is when I worked at a patio and people would walk in the front door and ask what the weather is like on the patio. Uh, They're like, what's the weather like? And I didn't know how to answer that without sounding mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, to like sincerely answer it. Or mm-hmm. if I gave them a funny answer, it sounded like I was mocking them. Yeah. Um, so that was always, uh, really entertaining. Like that was always something that, uh, that stood out to me or... People would come in and have really specific questions about the menu um, and, like, the the specific ingredients and items. So um, I had someone walk in, and we had salsify, which is a root vegetable okay. on the menu. And they were like, so what soil content is it? Is it oh, for goodness sake. Um, you know, what's the mineral content in the soil? And what shape are the leaves? And stuff like that, <laughs> like... You know, when you're trying to see was them. he was were they taking the piss out of you or they were being serious no, about their questions? Serious. But this was downtown Guelph, where I feel like downtown Guelph is a little bit like an episode of Portlandia. For sure, <laughs> just, just put a bird on it. Just, just put, put a, bir- a bird on put it. Put a bird on it. <laughs> um, their skit of the is it local? I haven't seen that one. A hundred percent accurate for what I dealt with downtown Guelph. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at time. all. Um, so that was that was always something that kind of stood out to me was that people would walk in and then have a ridiculous or hilarious request, and then you trying to manage that. Now what are they actually asking me for? What will it take for this to be okay? Yeah, or uh, what detail did you forget to mention to them that would have been a really big deal? Yeah. Um, like, I made a cocktail that had, like, or the bartenders made a cocktail, feature cocktail, and put nutmeg on top of it. Mm-hmm. I think it was some sort of coffee drink, and then they, like, got in, they're like, this nutmeg and then just like went to town about nutmeg which is totally fine and it wasn't an allergy thing they just forgot to Mm -hmm. tell us and mention it to us so uh and it's always funny when you know you have those moments with with guests i have i i've had so many of those in my lifetime that i don't even i can't even remember them at this point (laughs) like because there's they become so yeah okay um commonplace but um my crazy story, I, well, there's lots, but the one that pops in my brain, which is, um, was managing, and I came into work for my five o'clock shift, and one of our servers, a friend of mine, and uh, he kind of had this sheepish look, and I said, what's going on? He's like, okay, so I have something to tell you, and I'm like, what do you have to tell me? He's like, so here's the thing. We're buying this table of 10, a bunch of appetizers tonight. Okay, why are we doing that? Well, so the story goes, he was opening and uh, the doors were locked and he was inside the building on opening and the opening server bartender hadn't, the other opener hadn't shown up yet. So the phone rings and he thinks it's her on the phone asking to get let in to the restaurant for reasons unknown to us, just assumed it was her on the phone. So he answers the restaurant phone. There you are, you stupid bitch. (laughs) And the woman on the other end of the phone, not the opening server, says, Excuse me? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were. Just, so, talks to her and smooths it out. And, you know, she's wanting, calling to make a reservation. She still makes the reservation. She shows up. And uh, so she comes in. Uh, I'm like ready to deal with this probably very angry and rightly so woman. Um, and she comes in and I said, I understand that we owe you a bit of an apology. Uh, and she started laughing. She said, well, that just made my day. It was the funniest thing. It was telling my coworkers all day about it. Um, so luckily in that case, we bought her some apps. She thought it was really funny. 
Um, and henceforth, the woman that was the other opener has been known as, there you are, you stupid bitch. Um, shout out, Sandy. Um, <laughs> our friend Cody. Uh, yeah, that's what we, yeah, that's how he wants to answer the phone. So that was a fun one. Um, it's stuff like that sometimes. Happens. Yeah, yeah, it's always uh, entertaining answering the phone. Um, and yeah, making sure that you're answering the phone correctly, even if the place is closed. Yes. Because uh, you never know when people are calling in, um, you know, and it's not just someone from inside the company calling. And I love those sort of stories because there is that sort of tone that, you know, restaurants just exist in, you know, because mm-hmm. we get busy, we get yeah. really crazy and people say things. And it's like, this is part of the fun of the job. I always enjoyed that when I was working. Hey, dog. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, we have a dog here. Yeah, we have a dog here. It's fine. You probably heard them. <laughs> uh, but the... Uh, uh, doggy, it's fine. Maybe we'll leave it at that for today. But I didn't get to tell you the story about the pig on the bar. Oh, okay. We can <laughs> get into it. It's fine. Did, dog yeah. Did, I, were, did you work at Finn's with the pig on the bar? No. Oh, well, I don't remember this okay, story. Okay, so <laughs> this is a very short one. And it's at the time I was not very happy, but so I was doing the social media for fans, and I think I had the night off or something. And I sometimes I just looked at Instagram to see where we were tagged or if we were posted or whatever. And there's a photo of a pig dressed in a Batman costume standing on the bar at Finn's. Because someone has a pet pig and they brought it into the restaurant like you like first of all, we don't even let dogs in the restaurant unless they're service dogs. I don't know why a pet pig would be okay. So and then I had to post in the fin like this, the half group. Um, I can't believe I have to say this, but for future reference, livestock should not be allowed on the bar <laughs> or even in the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, that, hey, pets. Hey, pets. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there was a. The, we made it so far without her barking, and suddenly she's decided she's bored. Yes. So maybe end with the pig on the bar. Sorry. Yes, since we have a dog that seems to be ready to move on. So yes. We'll leave that bad. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Oh, thank for you. On. <laughs> and uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is b underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya